I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome back to the 2019 copies. Uh, we already did all of the preamble on part one, so we don't need to do it again. Let's get straight in with it. And we're going for another big one to kick off the second half. It is Best Director, previously won oh. by Ryan Coogler for Black Panther, Patty Jenkins for Wonder Woman, Sam Raimi for Spider-Man 2, and Edgar Wright for Scott Pilgrim. What have we got this year? I've been trying to predict, Seb, which categories you're going to name next so i can hover over them and i was over best director so i'm pretty yeah. myself there. <laughs> okay uh just missing out are james mangold for the wolverine no. uh, barry sonnenfeld for no. Adam's family values <laughs> you monsters <laughs> and guillermo del toro for blade <laughs> um, what's gone on with the voting here if clearly caroline and i will have both voted for james mangold so this was an interesting here? one where four different categories four different sets of directors got two votes each at the first round of voting and then it was it was a, a very tight split to try and get the because everyone voted differently and basically i think this has been an interesting one that's gone on throughout the awards caroline has stand for the wolverine in a lot of categories where no one else really has james has stand for elita in a lot of categories mm. no one else has I have for Blade uh-huh. 2 in a lot of categories, and Seb, you have for Mystery Men in a lot of categories. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so really, they've not they've not ended up being being nominated for much, <laughs> but they were all because we all kind of had our own pet. I've realised this is my fault because uh, you when you did the second round and you gave a list and it was pick two and rank them, and I ranked Mangold second, and I think I did that as a quite conscious decision. Uh, <laughs> perhaps surprisingly towards the director in question who i imagine is going to be in the nominations so yeah. give us the nominations yeah and i will just say i think it's criminal that guillermo del toro is not in here uh the nominations are robert rodriguez for battle angel alita <laughs> the russo brothers for avengers endgame uh the wachowskis for uh, the matrix james gunn for guardians of the galaxy and director bong for snowpiercer so yeah, it was Robert Rodriguez. I actually put above James Mangold there, so it's my own fault. James, there you go. <laughs> I mean, you've got your justice for Elisa being the Howard T. Duck. In fairness, thing. Robert Rodriguez was not my first choice in this category, and I think there's only one person in this category who we could possibly, well, like, possibly get this award to. Whoa! Let's save getting to the to- let's save getting to the top end because I think we actually should do some litigation of this this kind of fringe group around the edge. Go for it. Um, I, I, you know, I felt really strongly. I can't believe that that you guys are as... I mean, I can because I know how you reacted to the first Blade. I think the second Blade is 
considering the screenplay that Guillermo del Toro is given, the work that he and Wesley Snipes do on that movie <laughs> is outrageously good. Some of the 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 like the autopsy scene in um in Blade 2 is phenomenal. And some of the work that Del Toro is doing with like early CGI and the angles that he's playing with in those fight scenes I think are remarkable. Um and I imagine Caroline is going to have something equally effusive to say about James Mangold for the Wolverine right now because her her cry of outrage when <laughs> she found out he didn't rate the category. Um yeah, I will say so I had also never seen the any of the Blade movies actually before this. So as with Supergirl, thank you for for getting me to watch those. The trouble here was I was so high on the first Blade. I like adored that movie and I was really not into the second one. So I feel bad that I'm not standing hard enough for Blade, which I think is a really great franchise, but I it, I don't know. I didn't connect to the second one as much. But yes, I just think The Wolverine, as I said on that episode, is an incredible film. I think the stuff James Mangold does there, which then he would, you know, obviously go on to do even more so in Logan. Um, which everybody loves, but to me, I think the Wolverine gets that balance just right of adding the dose of realism and darkness, but keeping things sort of comic booky. Really great women characters. Uh, I mean, we recorded a whole podcast about it, so you can go listen to that about how much I love the Wolverine. And you guys obviously all love it. I wasn't on the episode. I I I don't get it. I, I think I mean, it's like it's very it's very clear in Logan that this is kind of like it took him two goes to get it right for me and I, all of those other characters I, I don't I don't care about any of them any of them it's just it wasn't until we went back to it that that I, like it was the second go where I went oh actually mm. so maybe that's the thing because I think for most of us this was our sort of second time second or third yeah yeah yeah. And I, it had been completely forgettable the first time I saw it. Yeah, like one of the reasons I hadn't rewatched it is because I was just not not bothered. I was like, oh, you know, I've seen it and it wasn't very good. But actually, rewatching it, it, it and, drew and out as a lot for the more. comic, for the comic buckiness of it, I actually think mm. that's the that's the worst element of Logan is when they introduce that clone in the middle, um, and the comic buckiness of of the Wolverine really doesn't work for me. Um. Yeah. See, I, I would use comic bookiness as a as a positive in the sense of it is the most Wolverine that Wolverine has been in any of the films. But anyway, that's a mm-hmm. that's a conversation yeah. we had on the podcast, and it's not really relevant to the director. Award. I just think from from a point of view, just just to to briefly argue. Oh no, hang on, he's not in the nominations. I was going to argue for Mangold. He's not in the nominations. Mm. Never mind. Carry <laughs> yeah. on. I just th- I just think the action's really well directed in it. It's a well directed film. Doesn't matter. He's not a nominee. So the t- the two that were the fringe nominees that got in at the second round of voting were Robert Rodriguez and the Russo brothers. Is any is anyone? Does I mean, I'm not want to bang the drum for either of them. I'm not going to argue for it to win, but you know, Alita is a great looking film. Yeah. It's got such a strong aesthetic and a strong sense of itself. And again, I think I probably said this at the time that I I admire that Robert Rodriguez is quite good at sort of taking his thing that he does and doing a family-friendly version of it. And Alita kind of veers, you know, it certainly skews older than than a sharp boy and lava girl or a spy kids or whatever, but it's... Um, I, I like that he retains being recognisably this very visual director even when he's doing family-slash-kids stuff. And I think Alita is really effective at that. I think what he's not very good at across most of his stuff is 
coaxing very good performances from his cast. <laughs> I, I, I think that's fair. Yeah. I, 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 there's, I, I, I think Christoph Waltz is interesting in the movie, but uh, I don't like him in it as much as other people. I, Considering some of the acting talent they have amongst that cast, um, I, I think it's there are a lot of bland performances, and there are also people who I think have been a lot better elsewhere in a lot of other things. That that would that would be my mark against him. I do wonder whether where Rodriguez comes comes into his own is in is in the VFX department, is in kind of all of that post production side of things. I don't. I, there's not. I, I, when I think of Elisa, I think that I, I like the overall look of that film, but I don't think of any shots that I'm like, wow, that was beautifully composed, or wow, that that scene really, really ticked. I think this is one where the nomination is the award. Like, it's a worthy nomination, probably not in contention to win. Yeah. A- yeah. Anyone want to argue for the Russos? I think similarly, like we were saying with screenplay, <laughs> like think- what they managed to... <laughs> it's a big task to pull all this together. I think particularly on these big movies, like we were saying a lot of things are found in the edit. I think a lot of things are found on set, you know, like famously Iron Man's last I am Iron Man line. Like that was a reshoot. You know what I mean? Like the way that these things come together, I think is a lot on the directors. So yeah, like certainly props in terms of what they managed to pull together. I and think I, I, if the I've, award was best project managers, yeah, I'd give it to the yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there is this. I'm a massive NFL fan, and there is this forever argument about great quarterbacks in the NFL and whether people are great system quarterbacks, great game managers, rather than actually like natural talents. And I think that's what the Russos are. They are they're really good game managers. They they know how to manage an enormous production on this scale. Um, but I couldn't tell you what their what their kind of like directorial style is. Like I couldn't, I I, I wouldn't know what their non superhero movie is going to look like. Whereas the directors, the 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 three that we haven't talked about in this list yet, the Wachowskis, James Gunn, and and uh, Bong Joon Ho, I think. God, definitely yes. I mean, I'm not sure James Gunn will ever make a non superhero movie again, but all of the others. <laughs> Um, have got s- such a distinctive style um, and impact it on these movies as as well as they have in in most of, if not all, of their work. I haven't seen all of Bong's movies, but uh, certainly James Gunn and the Wachowskis. Well, maybe I'll jump in with our what, what sounds like it might be our big three contenders. Um, I just want to say, I don't think I've said this on the record yet, I am like as high as it's possible to be on Snowpiercer. I freaking love Snowpiercer. I love anything that's like, let's take a big sci-fi premise and it's just like unfiltered allegory. And that's what it is. As someone who was raised on Star Trek, that just like, that just like entirely. <laughs> Maybe that's why I love it too. Yeah, it entirely hits with me. I'm, I adore Snowpiercer. For me, the problem with Snowpiercer this year is The Matrix in that I think that they're both doing similar things where it's like, we kind of hit on this in screenplay, but it's like, Maybe on the page, the dialogue and stuff is is not the most incredible, but I think the world building and the visuals are so incredible. And any other year, it would be Snowpiercer, no doubt. But, I mean, The Matrix is The Matrix, you know? Like, I feel like you kind of can't deny <laughs> that aspect of it. So as much as my heart is with Snowpiercer, I'm almost leaning more towards Lily and Lana Wachowski because, again, like, it's The Matrix. Uh, see the the only th- the only thing that makes me go 
the Matrix can't win this is that it again we said this on the podcast like it just it borrows from so much and borrows to the point I really don't think that matters no I I get it like it's talented stealing but it's still stealing no but that's that's every great director in the history of the medium like you're not you're not getting Taxi Driver without Scorsese borrowing shots from the filmmakers that he loves and then you're not getting Boogie Nights without Paul Thomas Anderson stealing from Scorsese like that that is what great directors do and I think that the what, what the Wachowskis did is they stole a lot of this or borrowed a lot of this imagery and iconography from stuff that was less familiar to western audiences and put it together in a way that was hugely compelling and also I think a lot of a lot of imagery that that was strong but hadn't necessarily been executed in live action mm-hmm. um and yeah, fair, yeah. the the mix the mix of that imagery, the incredible stunt work, the incredible um, CGI that goes into that film, that that green and black aesthetic that really does stay with you. The whole like when you think of the Matrix, you think in those colors and the way that how strongly designed and and the, the flip between the the world, the Matrix world, and the and the you know the the real world on the Nebuchadnezzar. Um, I just think that actually, there's so many images from that movie to to Morpheus with the pills, uh, to the 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 woman in the red dress, to Neo beckoning Agent Smith towards him. That that movie is remarkable, and it and it defined it defined the action genre for at least a decade afterwards, um, and we're still seeing its impact. I. I would stand hard for the Matrix. Yeah, they also invented bullet time. You know, like that. I feel like we forget how (laughs) cool these things are because they've been parodied so much. But they, there's like a great Will Smith YouTube video where he talks about when the Wachowskis pitched him this idea and it just sounded insane and he couldn't picture it and he turned down the movie. And like that's the level of like what they did had never been done before. We cannot undervalue their contribution to cinema. (laughs) <laughs> do you remember the first time you watched the matrix and carry on moss jumps up into the air and the camera pans around it i just remember my jaw hitting the floor like what is this i've never seen anything like this and i think it's still cool now even with the it, with the advances in technology in 20 years still it still stands up as like holy shit that's amazing Right, I'm 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 pulling the clock here because <laughs> we had a lot of arguing in favour of the Matrix and no opportunity to argue against it. So, I'm going to make an argument against the Matrix here. Uh, ordinarily, and I think a lot of what you're saying is is right about the Matrix and and the influence that it had and all of that. I do think that while it is still a great film, watching it 20 years later, um, I think that a lot of what it does doesn't necessarily jump out as strongly now as it did back then to be honest that's me just making a slightly spurious argument to justify the fact that i think we've already given it multiple awards and it looks like (laughs) it's going to surprisingly be the runaway winner at these awards but i genuinely do want to make a strong case for james gunn and that is because (laughs) james gunn with guardians of the galaxy did an awful lot and the stuff you've said about how the matrix has influenced films that have followed it um you know it's more true of the matrix i'll grant but i think we're in danger of forgetting and underestimating the the transformation in what not just mcu films but actually this genre generally and action films uh, popular blockbuster action films generally were like before and after guardians i think the impact 
of what Guardians does with taking that set of characters that were little known, uh, being the first MCU film set in space, um, pulling together all of the stuff that it has to do and doing it with such a tight and defined aesthetic and mood and style, effectively inventing this thing that is now so commonplace of you know the way that pop songs are used in soundtracks and in trailers and it's not like it was the first film ever to use songs like that and you know a year before we'd had the um blue dabba d at the start of iron man 3 so it's not like it invented the idea but it did mean that every film after it decided that it had to do that to at least some extent as well um and I just think it's the way that Guardians of the Galaxy lands as as a bomb in the middle of the MCU. And so much of what these films have done since can be traced back to what Guardians does. You, you and love Guardians that... too much. James Gunn. James Gunn <laughs> is a bargain basement Joss Whedon with yeah. a record player. Yeah. <laughs> End of conversation. Agreed. Talk about somebody who like just steals from other things and i don't know you know it's like ah here's some sarcastic quips and here's some songs and <laughs> i'm so glad you went I... on the guardians episode <laughs> it was probably for the best for everyone i'd be like having joe on the guardians 2 episode <laughs> or james uh, james james is much more negative on that movie than me i will i that will back true. seb up i think a lot a lot of what he just said i agree with uh for someone who places a comfortable third for me in this list I mean, look, I'm I'm happy to give it to the Wachowskis. I just think, wow, we are really going heavy on the Matrix. Well, okay, the then Wars. what about how are you guys I, on Snowpiercer? Should we do a surprise, Bong Joon Ho? Okay, so this this is my thing, right? Of all of these directors, right, Bong Joon Ho is like he's the one who stands out for me. He's the the singular talent. This for me is like it's like with Ghost World. Like we have all these comic films that we love, and then we have Snowfear. Mm-hmm. Piercer, which is like fucking Martin Scorsese cinema. Like it's so far beyond everything else we looked at this year. And I think mm-hmm. it's all down to him. Like that's a film that has something to say and it does it as an action movie. Like Endgame is a great action movie. The Matrix is a great action movie. Snowpiercer like gives you shit to think about. Boom, done. I'm sold. I mean, yeah, I just as well. I, I think I think we are somewhat jumping ahead into the best film discussion, but, but I think in this case, I think you're right that the quality of the film, and it is inarguably one of the best, if not absolutely the best film we covered last year, again, jumping ahead in that discussion, uh, so much of that is so directly tied to the director in a way that it isn't always with some of the others. I mean, it, it is true of The Matrix and The Wachowskis as well. It is, it is their film, undeniably. I do feel that's the case with Guardians and James Gunn as well, but... I can appreciate the argument that it's not to the same extent of influence and quality as some of the others that we're talking about. Um, whereas with Endgame, there's a lot more going into the mix that makes it what it is. I have no objection to giving it to, to Bong Joon-ho whatsoever, because my feelings on Snowpiercer are very clear. Great. It sounds like we've got two votes for Snowpiercer, one for Guardians and one for The Matrix, so it's it's Snowpiercer. Yeah, that sounds good to me. And I even if I give The Matrix a slight edge, I think Bong Joon-ho is a worthy winner and made a fantastic film and another fantastic film this year in Parasite. Okay, so best director is Bong Joon-ho for Snowpiercer. After 20 minutes, so we've <laughs> we've got twice as long as we should have done on that category. <laughs> uh, best hero, then. Will this be a quicker discussion? This has previously been won by Captain America, by Wonder Woman, by the Tobey Maguire version of Spider-Man and the Christopher Reeve version of Superman. 
Okay, uh, so um, a bunch of characters that were nominated for this but didn't quite make it. Batman, Blade, the Shazam family, uh, Pubert Adams, my pick, didn't make <laughs> what? the list. Pubert saves the day at the end of the end of Doesn't mean he's the best hero. <laughs> he must did have been clutching at straws with that one. Meant, meant he was one of the best five. Um, uh, <laughs> Thor from Endgame, Black Widow and The Shoveler. Which, uh, no more ridiculous than my Pube Adams pick. The five nominees are Neo from The Matrix, Wolverine from The Wolverine, Alita from Alita Battle Angel, and then both Iron Man and Captain America from Avengers Endgame. I will say, so I hadn't seen the Blade movies when we did our nominations, and if I had, I absolutely would have voted for Blade in this category. So shout out to Wesley Snipes for being awesome, and I feel like single-handedly defining what that character is. I maybe still wouldn't have given him the award at the end of the day, but just major props to what he did in terms of like fully shaping that character himself. I love the scene where he gets out of the bloodbath and just stares Ron Perlman down. Oh, what a guy. What a hero. I have to say, and I think this is one of those where, you know, sometimes when a particular opinion should carry more weight because of where it comes mm-hmm. from, right? As somebody who once nominated Iron Man for best villain, <laughs> I think I think the fact that I'm saying it's Iron Man for best hero this year is significant. See, I originally didn't nominate Captain America for Endgame because I was thinking about the movie and I went, well, who's the hero of Endgame? It's Iron Man because of the thing at the end. But then you you remember portals and you remember you remember Cap lifting Mjolnir and you go yeah. in terms of hero iconography and like I think Cap gets more hero moments in that movie. But then I think I think Tony gets more character moments. That's the it's both of them. Can we like like right up top? Can we actually give this as a joint award? Because I I do think that Endgame more so than Civil War is completely both their film. It somehow manages to satisfyingly be both of their film. Can we can we to start with because just before before we get to these, can we rule out Elita Wolverine and Neo? Yeah, I think all good worthy nominees. Like I'm glad to see them all yeah. here, but I don't think yeah. they're but Neo intention. would would be the one I'd say would be the closest out of the three would be Neo, but but nowhere near these two. No. <laughs> okay, James, so the thing agree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing I want to say quickly though is Captain America quits. He ends the film by going, well, that's me done. Off to go get married and settle down. Yeah, but Iron Man so dies. Make the, so I does Iron gonna, Man. It's lame. <laughs> Iron Man dies. <laughs> yeah, that's quitting. That's not yeah, quitting. I was going to make Self-sacrifice the opposite not argument. So Iron Man quits at the start of the movie for five years. Ah. And Cap, is the, Cap is the one who keeps going. Keep he doesn't going. keep going. He runs a support group. Because he's got no one else to to have a life with, that is the tragedy. And he, and he keeps America during that five year period. And he and he keeps hearing it's him and ScarJo. But I think it's I think that right. It's I think at various moments throughout the film, you could make a very strong argument for both of them. And I think yep. more so, like I I think more so than when you're watching Civil War and arguing 
who's the hero <laughs> who's the villain there where it's i mean i mean that's a screenplay that's pretty much designed to go this guy's right about this thing but wrong about the other and this guy's wrong about this thing but right about the other it's it's just more who you kind of like personally connect with in this in that film in yep. this film it's a film set up to go these two guys have defined this decade of superhero movies these are the two guys who are going to get the final big moments and yeah, I I couldn't separate them. I think you have to give them it both together. I would be happy to give it to them both together. I think the counter argument is that it. I think you said said that you guys had previously awarded Captain America this award and not Iron Man. So if we have if we feel like we have to pick, I think just <laughs> on that we could you know get Iron Man in there yeah, too. Yeah, ca- I think Captain America. So Captain America got it last year, so he got it for Infinity War. Is that right? Uh, no, I think it would have been for the Winter Soldier. Oh, true. Well, he, yeah, I think maybe it's the case that he got it for being because we covered the Winter Soldier the and two, Infinity yeah. War. So, yeah, uh, and yeah, he got it for being a paragon in Winter Soldier. Basically, um, I I think that's a that's a very good point. I still feel that if we are just talking about this film, though, it is. I think it actually, I actually kind of want to do it as recognition for how good the film is at making them both the hero. Um, Great, let's do yeah. it. Yeah, that that would be that would be my argument as well. Joint award, <laughs> Cuppies James? first. I'm not happy, but I'm letting it through just for time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the best hero of 2019. The last time that we're going to have the chance to give it to either of them, which I think is significant as well. Uh, Tony Stark and Steve Rogers, BFFs. Uh, well, that was a bit, that was a bit quicker. That helped us get us back onto towards onto schedule a little bit. Will the best casting? This is I. This is often one of my favourite categories um, because, again, I think when we talk about how often the supporting casts are great in these films, looking at the films that have done the best job of giving us a good, wide-ranging supporting cast, whether that's just here are a load of great actors doing great work, or here are a load of characters who've been really well cast for who they are. So previous years we've had Black Panther last year. Uh, we had season one of The Tick before that. Captain America: The First Avenger and Scott Pilgrim in our first year okay so just missing out in the category are mystery men the wolverine joker alita battle angel avengers endgame and the dark knight rises um i, I think pr- a, a couple of those missing out because most of their strong casting work was already done for them um i would so, have liked to have seen mystery men in there i'm disappointed yeah. about that one I think it was close, but I don't think I can I can sign off on the use of Paul Rubens in that movie. It just makes me too, uncom- too uncomfortable to think about. Um, okay, so best casting. The nominees are The Matrix, Snowpiercer, Adam's Family. Um, I think that's the original Adam's Family in this case, probably, but maybe a combination of the two. Guardians of the Galaxy and Shazam. Well, this is where I do want to make the case for Shazam, and it's because it's largely because of what it does at the end. <laughs> I mean, in general, I think the cast of Shazam are great. I think what headless Superman. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, not letting Henry Cavill return is where this movie makes its, uh, makes its um, impression on the category. I mean, we've we've already talked about Jack Dylan Grazer. Um, I don't know. If, I suspect we won't talk about him later, even though I did nominate him. But Zachary Levy is so good in that role um is it asher angel is that his name angel asher what's his name appropriate that you forgot about him yeah is (laughs) fine but not the standout but Mm, um, he's bad he's bad (laughs) he's fine um (laughs) it's asher angel by the way okay it's asher angel although i like angel asher (laughs) You've got Mark Strong being Mark Strong, but it is really it, it is because of the fact that they cast Adam Brody as the grown-up version of, of Zach Dylan Grazer, Jack Dylan Grazer. 
Um, <laughs> that second beat is kicking to... in. Um, yeah, I just I I enjoy the ensemble in that film. It's not going to win, but I just wanted to give it its due there. Well, I don't know if it's not going to win because I think this is my choice in the category as well. And I'm I, I, I'm saying this now so we can have the counter arguments because. I, I do kind of think that the, the two big pieces of casting, it kind of gets wrong. I'm, I'm not sure it's Mark Strong's fault, but Mark Strong, Mark Strong doesn't, fault. he doesn't land. And I'm not sure, it just doesn't, it's easy to make a good Mark Strong villain and this isn't a good Mark Strong villain. <laughs> yeah. And Asher Angel, I, I, yeah, I, I think he's bad. I think he's... You have like, also got um, Grace Fulton is excellent. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, so as, as, as a fan of that character, she's a good Mary Marvel for the limited time that she's in it. But so that's but that's the argument I was going to make. I think you've got these two kind of crucial, <laughs> crucial pieces of casting in the middle of the film that just don't work. But it's kind of overcome by everything around it because I think Zachary Levy is is great as that kind of almost parody of a superhero. Jack mm. Dylan Grazer, we've already discussed all of the family that turn up at the end. Adam Brody, Megan Good, Michelle Borth. Um, DJ Katrona finally getting to play a it's the little hero. yeah it's the little in joke of that and yeah, yeah. Ross Butler turning up um, is was he the guy from Riverdale Ross Butler yeah. yes yes yeah. Uh, I just, and yeah and then Grace Fulton I I kind of fell in love with uh, during that movie I thought she was uh, I really like the foster parents as well actually I think particularly the dad uh, I don't know yeah. it's Cooper Andrews the actor's name there we go uh, really like him in it as well. And the younger kids, uh, the rest of the family, when when they when the kids are are, are adorable, um, I think Shazam does amazing, has an amazing cast. But I can, I'm willing to hear the counter arguments now because of because of those two central flubs, as far as I'm concerned. I would be totally fine giving it to Shazam, actually, but my choice would be Adam's Family, just because. And I th- I feel like we've been hovering around this the whole time, but like the casting in that. The first one, certainly, and then if we extend it to the second one, we can get Joan Cusack in there as well. Like, just, I mean, pitch perfect for every single character. Well, not not only Joan Cusack, but by extending it to the second one, you get Carol Kane, who is the mm-hmm. you know the one replacement, mm-hmm. who is actually an improvement on the first, and you get Peter McNichol and Christine Baranski, who are two of my favourite people whenever they show <laughs> yeah. up in anything. So. so I was uh, re-watching Adam Sunley. I was watching the first one and I kind of like double suck and I looked at, at the grandma and I was like, what? weird, why did I always think in my head that was Carol Kane? <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then got to the sequel and went, oh, that's why. Uh, that's because you, when you think of Adam Sunley, you think of Adam Sunley values. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. weird. There's a few films like that. It's like, if you're thinking of Mad Max, you're probably thinking of Road Warrior. You're not thinking <laughs> yeah, of the yeah, original. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I I think that's a really compelling argument as well. The other one is, it, like, do we really need do we need to seriously consider Guardians of the Galaxy? And, I, and I'll throw it out for a, for a few reasons. One, casting Chris Pratt as a superhero off of Parks and Recreation it, in the shape he was in at the time is fucking bug nuts bananas, and it, the fact that it works out so well and has proved to be kind of almost singular to that franchise that he works specifically yeah. as that character and hasn't really worked as a leading man elsewhere. Uh, Zoe Saldana I know, has been given a kind of a, a bunch of minor opportunities throughout her career, but this is the one that she's really shone in. Um, mm-hmm. 
Dave Bautista out of nowhere, as we've already talked about Bradley Cooper. You know, uh, uh, yeah. like it's, it's down to the down to the smaller roles. Yeah, he's casting his friends in Michael Rucker, uh, but then Peter Serafinowicz, then Glenn Close rocking out the wigs, John C. Riley. <laughs> That's a re- that's a really re- and I can't and, I, and the difference is the only the only flub I can think there is Lee Pace but I don't know who would have done anything. I was going to I don't know role. if that's a flub so much as yeah the role isn't great. I think the only flub in mm. terms of how good they are in the film is Karen Gillan yeah. and the fact that as a result of that film well firstly she's been yeah. better in subsequent films but secondly Karen Gillan from off of Doctor Who has gone on to be one of the most profitable actors <laughs> in the world at the moment. So even that you can't really call a flub even though she's not great in the first well, film. Well I yeah I think she's not great in that movie but because they cast her in that exactly. we got the performance we got in Endgame. Yeah. yeah, she's not great in that movie, but it turns out the casting was right because every time she's shown up since, she's been great. And yeah. in every other movie, she's been great. So it's like, bad performance, but good for having the confidence to put her in it and, you know, let her she's grow into that She's progressively better with each yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think, yeah. for me, Guardians is the only one that doesn't have a weak link. Hmm. Like, all the others, you say, you know, for, you know, 80% of everyone is great, but there are a couple mm. of dodgy ones. You can, you can make that argument for Lee Pace, but I like Lee Pace too much to want to criticise him. But well, like you say, I don't, I don't think the performance is bad. The character is bad. There's no. nothing about his performance where you're going like, what the hell was he doing with that? You're just like, he's yeah. not like Michael Sheen in Tron Legacy or whatever. He's just there. <laughs> I I think so, I, I would discount Snowpiercer on the, on the basis that Chris Evans is just fine. <laughs> I think that you could have any handsome any handsome beardy man in the lead there. Mm. Yeah, I actually put Snowpiercer and in retrospect I'm not sure why I did that. What's working against the Matrix? Um nothing. I think it's good, but I think that the I think the ensemble well, I guess it is a big ensemble. But I think that okay, here's what I think. The Matrix, right, these are original characters, so it was just filling those out. With Guardians and with Shazam, it was like existing characters but existing in a different medium right. that you had to get <laughs> right. And here's why my thing for the Adams family is there had been versions of these characters on a well-beloved TV show. So you were not only trying to fit an existing thing, but you were also trying to redefine it. And I think that is an even higher level of difficulty than the impressive mm. work they did in Shazam and Guardians, where it was, you know, bringing to life these existing characters, but in a different way. Yeah, I mean, as you say, it's it's not just the fact that they're replacing existing ones; they're they're replacing beloved existing yeah. ones. Yeah, and John Astin is so good as Gomez in the in the original Adams Family TV show to somehow find and cast Raúl Julia and and somehow get a Gomez who is actually more memorable and iconic is impressive in its own right to say nothing of i mean i don't know how much she'd done before it but like basically discovering christina ritchie mm-hmm. uh, to 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 think of christopher lloyd for that and again we talked about it on the episode where christopher lloyd was just in this incredibly golden period where in the space of three or four years he's got both adam's family films he's got the latter back to the futures and he's got who framed roger rabbit and all of those roles while they, they all do have a certain amount of manicness to them yeah he's unrecognizable across the three films as being the the same actor uh to think to put christopher lloyd in that role is an inspired decision as well yeah to say nothing of the fact of what you've then got by bringing in all the actors for the second film so it maybe it's slightly cheating to allow it like two wins there because it's like it gets both you know it, it, it gets a second chance to score some points by allowing adam's family values in there but 
I think you do have to consider the both of them. I I think personally, I I talked myself into during this Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, uh, I, think, I think you kind I... of talked me into it as well. Also, <laughs> I, I, I wanted think, to get some awards. <laughs> I think the faith, the faith in the faith in someone like Dave Bautista, what we talked about with Bradley Cooper earlier, the the left field tra- because I mean I don't I don't know if you remember again because I'm thinking back to casting rumors. Peter Quill was supposed to be a choice between Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Jim Sturgis originally, yeah. and they're, they're you know both actors that I don't dislike, but. You, you do think about quite a lot of these like big blockbustery movies where you're like, wow, this is so interesting. Oh, and you pick the blandest dude av- uh, available to be your lead. And you get that on t- on big TV ensembles as well, as much as I love Lost. Um, <laughs> Jack is the most boring character on that show, and Matthew Fox is giving the least interesting performance. Um, Guardians hits, I, I think, hits on something magic with Chris Pratt there. And I think that... I'm almost giving it credit here for how much I've liked Chris Pratt less in everything else he's done since, <laughs> including including MCU movies. <laughs> I mean, I, I do think you, it's hard to separate like what we've seen of Chris Pratt in real life in the last five years from the the decline in liking him from Parks and Rec to here. But yeah, I think this is this is maybe our strongest category. Mm. I would edge towards Guardians, but I wouldn't be upset if you said Shazam, Adam's Family, or The Matrix. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all, I'm kind of uh, in a yeah. similar place with Adam Stanley at top, but I'm you know Guardians is is great casting as well. What do you? Yeah, reckon, Guardians. James? Guardians edges it for me. If if Guardians edges it for James, I'll I'll go with Guardians. I would have gone with Adam's Family if Adam's Family had edged it for James. So let's say Guardians. <laughs> what a great what a great category you guys really Very was. Yeah. Um, okay, will this next category be as strong? I'm not certain. It's best couple. Uh, oh yeah. All, we sometimes struggle with this one. We've had we had Eddie and Venom last year. Oh, and uh, I think honestly, the pure <laughs> the purest winners we've found so far. Uh, Wade and Vanessa before that. Uh, that all got a bit ruined, didn't it? Uh, Tony and Pepper that didn't get ruined, thankfully. And Bob and Helen Parr were our first winners for the Incredibles. Aww. Who have we got this time? Wait, have Stephen Peggy never won? Or did nope. you just say them? Nope, Stephen Peggy have never won. Holy shit, that makes things difficult for me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so here are the here are the ones that didn't quite make it. Um so, in probably Reed Richards and Sue Storm got a nomination. Uh Wednesday and Joel got a nomination for Adam's Family Values, <laughs> Bruce and Selena for the Dark Knight uh Rises, <laughs> Alita and Hugo got a nomination. <laughs> from the record (laughs) Um, Peter and Gamora got a nomination for Guys the Galaxy and Blade and Nisa got a nomination for Blade 2 you can Uh. guess who nominated that so this this category actually ends up with six nominees because even through two rounds of voting we couldn't separate the last couple Um, so the ones we couldn't separate were Neo and Trinity and Steve uh, Rogers and Sam Wilson from (laughs) Avengers Endgame Uh, and then uh after that, we've got Morticia and Gomez Adams, Peter and MJ from Spider-Man Far From Home, Tony and Pepper from Avengers Endgame, and Steve and Peggy from Avengers Endgame. Jeez, stacked category. I was so busy voting for Wednesday and Joel, I forgot about Gomez and Morticia. I was about to say, Gomez and Morticia, right? I think it's Gomez and Morticia, yeah. <laughs> I don't so know how is, I missed that one. <laughs> this is why I feel torn. The purity of the love and also naked kinkiness of the relationship <laughs> between yep. Morticia and Gomez is 
frankly irresistible. But I can't believe we've never given this award to Steve and Peggy, who are, as far as I'm concerned, the best comic book couple on think, screen ever, ever. I think just the opportunity hasn't been right. I mean, I don't know what years it would have been. Hang on, Eddie and Venom was 2018. Wade and Vanessa was 2017. But what year did we do I, First Avenger? I, I think, think that did, will have, it will have been the same year that I think we'll have probably given it to uh, Tony and Pepper. Tony Pepper, Pepper yeah. Two. And, um, and probably, oh, I don't know if if Iron Man three would have. No, for, for, yeah, for, first Avenger was in was just at the tail end of twenty sixteen. Oh, then, no, hang on, that was that episode was on the thirtieth of December. Unless we did our awards after then, maybe we did. Maybe we were late doing the awards that year. So it must have been that it just got beaten by Tony and Pepper, uh, which that mm. might have been my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I might have thought, mm. oh, we'll get another chance, <laughs> and this is the chance. I don't think you can argue against. Gomez and Morticia, though, for the reasons that you've said, it's a, it's a, it's actually a really rare portrayal of it's what so it's rare. portraying. All of the so elements rare. that go into it, that that I mean, we talked about it in detail on the episode, but the the hundred percent equal relationship and devotion, and yes, you know the kinkiness and everything that sort of it's refreshing. And to just see the the atypicality of it, in that like yeah. Morticia is the sort of reserved and you know, emotionless one, and and Gomez is the like, you know, hot-headed, passionate, the crazy, one. emotional. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm really happy with that. I agree with Joe. It's a, it does feel like this is also the year to give it to Stephen Peggy, <laughs> and it's kind of a bummer. We not can't to do, do another that. joint award. <laughs> Can I also? I just want to take a second to say that. One of my favorite things about Endgame, I saw a lot of complaints about Endgame that it downplayed, I mean, clearly Joe doesn't agree with this, but that it downplayed Bucky (laughs) and Bucky and Steve's relationship too much. I actually, I don't dislike Bucky, but I like the way Endgame handled their relationship as sort of almost like this unspoken, you know, connection. But the, the fact that Endgame prioritized Sam Wilson and Mm. Steve's relationship in the way it did was... Like, talk about, like, Joe had said, like, oh, the ending with Steve and Peggy is everything I had dreamed of. The focus on Steve and Sam's relationship, which I feel like these movies had moved away from, the way it returned to that as being so central to Steve and the choice to pass on the shield to Sam was, like, that to me made the entire movie. I could not believe the movie was doing that. I was so happy it did. And I'm so happy that Sam is our new Captain America. Could not agree with you more. That is... uh, spot on basically what i think like it's not i i, I do hate bucky but I, <laughs> like but that's not that's really? not why I, that's not why i think that, that, that like he was under like that that it was the right amount of bucky in endgame the reason it was the right amount of bucky in endgame is because that story has been comprehensively done yeah that arc start to finish has been and gone and bucky has felt like this irrelevant piece left in the MCU who can't go away because he's Bucky. And I think it is it is really nice in that film to to put that emphasis back on Steve uh, on Steve and Sam to have Sam announcing the return of everybody in that moment. Um I think I think in the same way that like all of the that the, the relationship that still needed resolving in an emotional way with Iron Man was the Peter Parker relationship because that's the relationship at this end of the MCU that's more important. 
he's his roadie and pepper stuff has has been and gone and pepper does still get her moment and that's important but like i don't think anyone was going oh my god Don Cheadle got so badly served at the end of that movie that like he doesn't get a <laughs> moment with Tony because we we know we know what those characters you know we know the relationship we have and we know what they think about each other and yeah I think it's, in, it's so important from a from an iconography point of view for Steve to hand over the shield to Sam and that character I think that character was the, was the only natural fit the only thing I can say against him was that facial hair in the scene. <laughs> so, so it's a weird it's a weird cut to that beard <laughs> and then I guess Tony and I mean Tony and Pepper are fantastic in Endgame too I think the fact that they've already won this makes me less inclined yeah. to to push for them but again you could see in another year this really going to them I, and I, I think it just feels like a continuation for those two that we we've seen those two it feels like these these it's just these guys are still together and they're really comfortable around each other and it's nice but like even the facts that like pepper just gets it when he makes when he makes the sacrifice she just understands why it had to happen there's mm-hmm. no co- there's no conflicts left there to explore mm-hmm. um and Stephen peggy it is a lovely lovely moment i, I kind of feel because we gave the best song musical moment there it, it's yeah and, and also because morticia gomez is i can't think of a comparison for that it is wonderful well there All we right. go that sounds definitive to me definitive yep. to everybody yep. else yep Best couple, Gomez and Morticia Adams, not just of 2019, but possibly of all time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, on to a category. Well, this is the category where James gets to go and have a snooze for a few minutes uh, because he's not interested in the slightest. Uh, it's best score. It's our other musical category. Uh, we've only actually given this three times from the look of this. Uh, the Dark yeah. Knight has won it, Thor Ragnarok has run it, won it, and the Flash TV series has won it. Oh, Are you telling me days. Black Panther didn't win? Not ahead of the Dark Knight, apparently. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> you should have felt more strongly about it. That's all I can it's say. The, the James Blank never pays is attention the only to soundtracks. <laughs> it's the only time I've ever cared about a soundtrack. <laughs> well, you should have argued your case better. I don't know how you argued your case back then, but it obviously wasn't good enough. Joe, what's up this time for James to ignore? Uh, nominees this year are Supergirl, The Addams Family, The Matrix, Avengers Endgame, and The Dark Knight Rises. So I actually... This is a category, and I, I remember this was something I wanted to talk about on the episode in question, and I don't think I'd, I think I managed to forget to do so, and it, and it never really properly came up. Um, I want to make the case for Supergirl for this. I think Jerry Goldsmith's score for Supergirl is really good. I mean, that's about I the extent of my case, agree. but I think it's really good. <laughs> no, I totally agree. I'm actually with James on this that I never really noticed film scores. It's like something I'm trying to train myself to be better at. <laughs> I had to do like critics nominations this year, and I was like, oh, no, I've never noticed a film score <laughs> in my life. But um, I actually think the Supergirl, the ones I tend to notice are the ones that's impossible not to notice, the big bombastic ones. And I think Supergirl is a lovely example of that kind of big bombastic superhero score. It's the big bombastic superhero score, and it's one of the few... Because the film has got this really confused tone where it's not sure at all what it is. And it's got elements of being uh, a fantasy, uh, and it's got elements of being a superhero film, and it never really lands and it never really successfully combines them. I think the score successfully combines them. It sort of... It takes what feels like the motifs of the Superman theme, the, the John Williams moves it into a different area gives it you know a slightly different melody um but then it actually works in 
the I think I think it actually successfully pulls across the the weird feel of the the Krypton stuff, the Argo City stuff from the start, and then the you know the kind of the the, the ridiculous direction it goes in with the magic and mysticism and stuff later on. Um, actually, on the soundtrack, and I've actually you know gone and like actually listened to the soundtrack just by itself. It hangs together a lot better, and, and the main theme is really nice and works really well. So, yeah, it is something I would I would make a strong argument for. If if I'm not going to get a win for Helen Slater in Best Actress, which I'm fairly sure I'm not, then then this is where Supergirl no. gets its due. Um, I'm not going to argue against that because I can't remember the Supergirl soundtrack. Uh, so, <laughs> well, uh, what I'm going to do is argue against myself from last year. Uh, when we were discussing The Dark Knight on the podcast last year, which ultimately won in the category, yeah. Seb, you said you actually thought The Dark Knight Rises score was a little bit better, yes, specifically because love... of the Rise theme at the end. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I disagreed with you. I was like, I can't get past the chanting. Um, the one element of the film that I found quite hypnotic on this rewatch was the <laughs> chanting. And I think Simon's argument on your episode for The Dark Knight Rises uh, really struck a chord with me. And maybe, because Simon's uh, maybe a part of that as well, uh, maybe, maybe that works in its favour. I mean, Hans Zimmer's great, right? And this yeah. is, I, I, yeah, I think you could make an argument, his best Batman score in the worst film. Um, so that would be my argument there and then I would also make an argument for Endgame uh, one because of portals and two because I think it's I think Sylvester did a lot of great work in his in his first Avengers theme I think the minor key stuff he did towards the end of Infinity War is fantastic and Thanos' theme and then I think bringing it all to I, I think this is one of those cases where you see it all come together you see kind of like the the culmination of his work across this franchise really show through in Endgame. And Endgame is one of those scores that I think people noticed in in moments, at least, if not throughout the entire film. I, um, I would agree that the music is part of what makes the Portal scene so good because it makes, you know, it builds up and, you and you know, it, it, it underscores, you know, ironically, uh, what's happening. But I think that it gets that because it's using a theme from several years ago. And it's a rearranged version of that theme, but let's face it, like, the standout moment in the Endgame score is the theme from the Avengers. That's that's what I mean though about it kind of feeling like a culmination of of all his great work and putting it together. Oh yeah, but um, but I th- I just think that means I don't think that I don't think that's enough for it to win here because I don't, I don't think feel, it's, you know. I I I knew enough. Yeah, I think I think most of us are slightly philistines when it comes to this. Um uh, yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't argue really passionately about any of them. So I, I would be happy to step back and and let you and you and Caroline decide. I mean, we haven't we haven't mentioned Matrix, and I think obviously with, with Matrix, it's there's probably less of a separation between score and soundtrack. And actually, I'm probably if I'm watching the film, I'm probably not always sure what is music that was composed for the film and just some pre-existing industrial track that they found. Yeah, but I think it's just it can't it's the, be it's denied. the element of the film that has aged particularly. It, I it think, just feels I so late yeah, 90s. I agree that it has aged not brilliantly, but I, you know, I wouldn't have necessarily said it was my kind of thing at the time. But I think it is undeniably a huge part of the film's aesthetic and is successful in in 
making itself but in a similar way actually to what i said about the supergirl score it 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 fits the film and what the film's trying to do i'm not i'm not arguing it for for it to win but i'm just sort of marking why i think it's worth the nomination um but i would probably go for i don't know whether it is dark knight rises or supergirl because I, I don't think we can really give it to dark knight rises having given it to dark knight but i feel i feel we should retrospectively take it off dark knight <laughs> and give it to dark knight rises because i think dark knight rises score is better although dark knight does have the the music during the chase sequence which i think probably now that i think about it might be the same motif as rise it's very similar <laughs> Caroline, uh, what, what, where do you stand on this? Well, I think so. Supergirl's not going to, probably not going to win anything else, right? Let's give it one. Yeah. Let's represent Let's, yeah. the diversity of films you guys covered. It's a lovely it's, score. It's good work. It's one of those. I think it is actually quite renowned by people outside of you know. It's sort of it's 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 one where people go, oh yes, the Supergirl soundtrack is a good soundtrack. It's like the only good thing out of the film. That I was going to say it's probably the best so, thing about that film. So yeah. it's a worthy thing to Let's reward. Supergirl, it is then best score goes to Supergirl. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Right, so we've just got pretty much big awards left now. Uh, four to go, along with the Hall of Fame. Uh, before we go into some relentless positivity for the final three, let's have our last bit of negativity. Uh, as distinct from the Howard T. Duck Award for the best bad film, this is just straight-up worst film. Uh, the Hall of Shame previously is Spawn, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Man of Steel, and Josh Trank's Fantastic Four. Who is going to join that exalted company, and is it Dark Phoenix? The nominees are not entirely different from the Howard C. Duck Award. Three of them are the same. <laughs> uh, Supergirl, Dark Phoenix, and Fantastic Four as the Silver Surfer. The two additions to the group are Joker and Blade 2. Well, we've got to immediately, I think, discount Blade 2, because actually... Because it's good! Because it's good! <laughs> it's a good movie. It's I... a terrible, terrible script, but everything else about it is good it has an incredible tone it has an incredible visual style it has an incredible lead performance from wesley snipes and it has guillermo del toro kind of character actors and just these little little moments that you kind of go like yes that a, a competent hand has guided this from the nonsense that it was on the page the david Coyer script <laughs> to what it became on the screen i like blade 2 it is a good movie and it does not belong in this list i i nominated it 
but it was very much in the in the spirit of I, I had four that I was definitely nominating and one where it was like, well, that's you know, that's probably the weakest of what's left. So unless James wants to massively argue for, for its nomination, because I know neither of us really loved it. But, no, same. Um, I just I had to fill out five and it was the worst yeah. of the the ones that were left. So it's not it's not it's not Blade Two. I would also say for all of the problems that we have with it. It's not Joker. Joker is too good-looking a film with too good a central performance to be considered worst film here. I think what a lot of us didn't like about Joker was what it kind of ideologically ended up being. What it, what it is is garbage, but it's extremely well-made garbage. <laughs> I think that the argument. I think Counterpoint Joker should win. <laughs> 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 and I wasn't even that harsh on it on the podcast that we recorded about it, but. I don't know, man. Seeing that it's getting, seeing that Joker is getting all of these legitimate awards at like Golden Globes and SAG has made me go from being neutral on it to it hating out. it. And I want everyone, yeah. I want to mark it as a bad, as not even bad, but just like a lazy knockoff. Like if we want to give that critique of yeah. the Matrix, we need to give it ten times over to Joker. I I I understand that impulse because I think we get it every year around awards time because I think like if you look back to last year's awards um and you know two of the biggest Oscars going went to Green Buck and Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> uh, which which are not good movies um but I think if they hadn't have got awards attention would have just been forgotten about rather than despised mm-hmm. And I, I, the thing I keep coming back to with Joker is that the reason I disliked it as much as I did because I was like, this is too good to be bad. There's too, mm-hmm. the, you've got to, like, it, the, I actually thought 45 minutes in, shit, I think they've got this. I think they've understood the approach to this character that they needed to take. <laughs> and then. And I just, and I, and I, and I think it devolved. Whereas, uh, uh, there are, there are bad movies and, like there are bad movies with merit and then there are just like as Sebor described Rise of the Silver Surfer feels like a TV movie as James described Dark Phoenix is a movie that feels honestly laughable in retrospect and Caroline while I agree with you uh, that it is it is maybe no worse than Apocalypse I don't think that that acts in its favour <laughs> um, because I think Apocalypse <laughs> would be a good attend- uh, contender in this category this year I think the only reason it didn't win the year it, the year it was up is because it was up against the Fantastic Four remake um, and then Supergirl is fucking god awful <laughs> like, it really <laughs> is a terrible movie that kind of with a good gets- soundtrack and, and kind of gets by on the charm of like, well, I kind of expected it to be bad. Yeah. And like, is, isn't it cute how like at this, it's almost plucky that it was nonsense, <laughs> you know? Like yes. it, 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 it had the deck stacks against it and it ended up being bad. <laughs> I think that for me, this is a fight between Dark Phoenix and Silver Surfer personally but i i understand oh, i don't, I don't think silver surfer as well anywhere near it at all okay counterpoint joker is set in the 1970s and the plot hinges on a viral video we cannot <laughs> ignore this insanity That's a good point. um i i enjoy the controversy of giving joker worst film for what it stands for uh i do just think that I just think Dark Phoenix. I think Dark Phoenix is Josh Trank Fantastic Four levels of bad in terms of being one of the wor- absolute worst 
big budget blockbusters we've covered. It's just in it's terms just of being molded by Simon Kinberg. <laughs> I was about well, to say, yeah. <laughs> incoherent, yeah. Hall of Fame, maybe. Um, it's just incoherent <laughs> rubbish that just you know all of the previous X Men films that aren't in the, the the higher tier of X-Men films, like the the weak or the bad X-Men films, have usually got something about them, and Dark Phoenix doesn't. It's just... it give, Like, by the time it's finished, it's actually... It starts with, like, a relatively low amount of reason to exist, and by the end, it's actually detracted from that. It's given itself less reason <laughs> to exist by the time it finishes. But... If you all want to argue for Joker, I'm happy to give it to Joker, to be honest. I'm I trying think, to be fair I, to I it. think Dark Phoenix is the worst film on this list. It's just... It just feels so nothing. And that's why, like, it, when a film is... When a film is bad, but I can't bring myself to say it should win the Howard the Duck Award, it's got to be It's got to be really bad. It's bad, and it's boring, and it... I mean, do you remember that this is a movie that not just in the movie itself, but revealed the death of Mystique, one of the crucial characters in this franchise from first class onwards, in a trailer, and then didn't just satisfy itself by revealing that in a trailer, had Simon Kimberg by doubling down and giving interviews going, yeah, no, no, she's dead. She's dead. That's the the death scene of (laughs) one of the most crucial characters in this franchise. And I'm talking about it before the movie comes out. (laughs) <laughs> I just I, mm. and uh, again a movie that was delayed what was it 12 months 18 yeah. months I think a movie so bad that I think the only reason we've still not seen New Mutants is because they don't want it to have any mutant references in it because it would be dragged down by Dark Phoenix <laughs> yeah I have you know like I said I've, I have things I like about Dark Phoenix but even my defense of it you know it comes with a lot of caveats <laughs> about it not being very good so I can't fight against it that strongly, even if it might not be my top choice for this. I did nominate it, so. You know, I, I didn't actually nominate it. <laughs> Although wow. that was, ma- I think that was mainly an oversight, and also possibly I just don't like Mystery Men that much. Um, <laughs> for me, like, Supergirl is the standout in this category, mm. just because it, it's not competent as a movie. Yeah. Like Joker gets to that at points, but there are things about Joker that you can look at and say, okay, I don't like the story that Joker's telling. I don't like the the impetus behind True, its creation. True, it is a film. <laughs> but, you know, it it is a film. It's doing the yeah. basic job of a film. Supergirl is just two hours of like borderline gibberish <laughs> that drags down everyone wrong. in it. The fact that James is able to make this argument, given that. You know, given what you would have expected him to make you a year ago, I just, I think, yes. Yeah, so, so it's Supergirl or Dark Phoenix. Yeah, I can't let you give it to Supergirl. Yeah, I kind of feel Phoenix. like Supergirl is more fun in its badness in that Howard T. Duck way. Yeah, exactly. And Dark yeah. Phoenix, for having a little more merit, is never fun. Supergirl is going to end up falling down into the gap between worst film and Howard T. Duck. She's yeah. just she's going to just miss out on both. <laughs> well, I was going to because yeah, I was I was going to say a film can't be as close to winning the Howard T. Duck Award as Supergirl was, and then win worst film. But you could actually flip that the other way around. It's like it, it is a film that sits almost squarely between the two. I don't think Dark Phoenix does sit squarely between the two, as we argued before. And for that reason, I think it's I I feel quite strongly that it's Dark Phoenix. I just thought that film was so 
so bad. And it had no excuse to be that bad. Yeah, Supergirl's it's kind of got an excuse for being four. positive. The thing, yeah, the thing about <laughs> Dark Phoenix, right, is that it's it's got a like pretty good cast, right? That cast has done yeah. good work before. What the yeah. hell are they doing how, here? How do you have McAvoy and Fassbender? You know, as I said, that's what I was saying about the other films have usually got something to recommend them. And it's that through line going back to first class mm-hmm. of those two actors playing those two characters yeah. in an enjoyable way and, and that relationship. And it is completely absent. I mean, they're both in the film, but all <laughs> sense of enjoyment and of that relationship is completely absent from yeah. Dark it's, Phoenix. It's like what we talked about with Sam Jackson, though, right? I don't think you can uh, you can really underestimate. And I know that like it, it's a difficult argument to make without knowing the context, but it really does feel like there are some movies where the actors just don't want to be there. And this is and this is just a job. I mean, it's definitely true for about. Jennifer Lawrence in that film. <laughs> well, yeah, but well, definitely Jennifer Lawrence, but McAvoy mm. and Fassbender as well. I feel, yeah, just, I feel like they've lost their mojo by then. They're just like, and especially in that third yeah. act that they've had to film twice. Yeah. <laughs> one one of the thing I'm just going to say the thing that's bad about Dark Phoenix now. One of the things that always cracks me up about that that early sequence is when there's a bit where they're cutting from a scene taking place in one forest to a scene taking place in a different forest. And you're just sitting there going like, is this the same forest? What am I watching? Oh God, yeah. When when um, yeah, when it cuts to the Dazzler scene in the yeah, forest. Yeah, one of them's having yeah. a... Like one, there's a party in a forest. Another, there are some like evil aliens stalking up to a house in a forest. Yeah. Different yeah. forests, different yeah. geographic areas. It's like, we, it's not we, it's not competent. I think next year there is a very compelling case to be made to introduce the Hall of Shame and the Hall of Shame being people who have most often <laughs> destroyed superhero movies. And it's I think Simon si- Kimberg. Simon Kimberg's <laughs> one. You could make it. You could make the case for Avi Arad. You could definitely make the case for Ike Perlmutter, despite you know not actually making any of these movies, but his input <laughs> has ruined them. You know that I, I think it's an it's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. Tom Rothman maybe at Sony. Zack Snyder. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> call it the Zack Snyder Award. We'll get that. Okay, are, are we? Because we do need to move on time-wise because we've got three big categories to go and not much time left to do them in. So, yeah. are we saying Dark Phoenix for worst film? Does anyone really want to make the case for Supergirl? No, I'm, I'm, I'm happy, happy to fall that. on Dark Phoenix. Yeah. I am begrudgingly accepting. Of, <laughs> you know, right. at least Dark Phoenix can put on their poster that they won a Cuppy Award. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, so is Supergirl. So, yeah. Uh, right, the gavel is down. Grudging acceptance is still acceptance. It is Dark Phoenix's worst film that we covered in 2019. Okay, back to some positivity. Three really big awards. Uh, let's see how long it takes to argue over them. Uh, for the big two acting awards, let's start with Best Actor, I think. Who have we got there? So, sorry, previously won by... We gave it to Christopher Reeve for Superman 3, um, probably partly for the previous ones. But actually, no, Superman 3 is his best performance. I think we argued that at the time. Hugh yeah. Jackman has had one for X2 and Logan being covered in the same year. He also got it the year before that for X-Men. So as much as I might want him to win it for the Wolverine, yeah. uh, I don't know if he's going to get the hat-trick here. And in the first year, it went to Robert Downey Jr. for the first Iron Man film. Mm. So I think you can tell from that list that while obviously you know some of them are obvious, I don't think it's necessarily a category where there's often a lot to debate over so be interesting to see what we've got here it's also interesting that we're going to look at a lot of winners here um because uh, I, I want to run through a couple of names that haven't been nominated but we've covered all of their films now or all of their films to date yeah um 
often, so, often the lead actor is not the standout thing about a really good film mm. you know, on the films. But I cover. think, but I think there's some really good names in here. So we've got Chris Pratt for Guardians of the Galaxy, Wesley Snipes for Blade Two, Chris Hemsworth for Avengers Endgame, Christian Bale for The Dark Knight Rises, Tom Holland for Spider-Man: Far From Home, and William H Macy for Mystery Men. <laughs> they they were all nominated <laughs> but did not make the list. Wow. Uh, in, instead, on the list are two of those previous winners. So we do have Robert Downey Jr. for Avengers Endgame. Uh, we also have Chris Evans, which uh, I, the people who nominated that will have to tell me whether that is an Endgame nomination or a Snowpiercer nomination. We have Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. We have Hugh Jackman for Wolverine, uh, aiming for the hat trick. And we have Zachary Levy for Shazam. Oh, he got in there. Yes. Of the ones we didn't we didn't nominate, I'll just give a shout out for Christian Bale. And particularly Christian Bale in Dark Knight Rises. I think actually yeah. a, a pro of Dark Knight Rises for me even though obviously it's not a good movie and Dark Knight is far superior, but I think Dark Knight really loses sight of Batman and Bruce Wayne's story. And I really yeah. like the Dark Knight Rises returns to that, particularly in the end of it, like the stuff where he's getting out of the cave. I also just adore Christian Bale. So just shout out to him. I get why he's <laughs> and, and not he's... one of the nominees here, but I do think it's a very good performance in the whole franchise and in that film in particular. He's still bringing it in that. I think he's the one element of that movie that definitely feels, from returning elements anyway, that definitely feels as committed as they ever were and does get the focus back on them. I just think his arc throughout the movie, he's betrayed by the script, I think. That's yeah, why he enough. can't have the nomination because he doesn't get enough to work with. Um and yeah, and I, and I nominated Wesley Snipes. I understand why he hasn't made the list. I would have nominated um, him too if I had seen it. So good. Again, shout out to him. So the the one I want to argue against, and it's because he's in the wrong category, is Zachary Levy, who is not the lead of Shazam. Whoa. No, he's the he's the titular hero. He's on the posters. <laughs> he's not the he's not the lead he's character. On the posters. He, and, and and frank and frankly, to be honest, when he is of Asher Angel and Zachary Levy, while Zachary Levy is a lot better at what he's asked to do, he doesn't feel like a, a fully rounded character, I don't think, when he's Zachary Levy. Like, I, do, I still do go to. He's a caricature of a superhero, and he's he's a kid in completely giddy mode. I find it very difficult to connect those two versions of that character in that movie. For as much as I like him, and I, and I, think, it, like, I think he could be amazing in a second film, I just... Yeah, I think. Well, a, I think he's a supporting character to no, Asher I, I, to Asher Angel's version of the character, and I also, I just don't, I don't think you, I don't think you ever feel any of the angst when it's Levy. I was going to say, I sort of agree. There's not, there's not a range when it's when it's him. There needs to be a bit of that in there, and he like the costume is great. Like I'm, I'm sure that costume came great, to, uh, close to being nominated, from what I remember. I do love it, but I just, yeah, I, I think it's a supporting performance that is fine. And and again, I think kind of let down by the scripts because it doesn't give him as much to do. I'm happy for you to, I mean, as great as I think he is, I'm happy for you to argue that you don't think he's quite good enough to get in. I I will strongly argue against the idea that it's a supporting role. He is the he is the top build actor in the film. He is uh, on the posters. doesn't matter, though. No, I'm sorry. No, it's uh, billing is a contractual thing. You, you, you're never going to get gonna anyone. Say, he's with the most name. famous. He's the most famous. But Asher Angel's contract is not going to be able to get him top billing on the movie <laughs> because his name is Asher Angel. If this was up for awards, he'd be up for best actor, not yeah. best supporting actor. I think your argument that he's the one on the poster is is the way is the proof that he is the lead <laughs> of that movie. Uh, however, 
you know, as much as I'd like to see him win it, because I don't think we've actually given an award to Shazam, which is disappointing to me because I think it's the second best film of the year, uh, but film in the genre of the year, not film generally. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm disappointed not to see him get it, but I, I never really realistically thought that he would. So. Yeah, and I think Hugh Jackman too. As much as obviously I love the Wolverine, you've given it to him twice. I don't yeah. think he needs it a third time. I mean, I think in retrospect, I'd take it off him for the first X Men film and give it to him for this, uh, or maybe I, for X Two uh, and Logan. Ah, uh, see, no, he kind of earns it no, for yes, all of us. He gets it. <laughs> He's time. great. He Just rename this great. the honorary Hugh Jackman Best Actor Award. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you remember all of the like? I think a lot of the context that we brought to the first X Men is important as well. So you know, remember mm. the context of his casting and for him to just seem so perfect and the the way that he sold. I think something that gets kind of forgotten and is there a little bit in the in the Wolverine because they say it out loud I think more than Jackman communicating it but that like there's pain every time every time those claws come through there's pain and I think Jackman sells that in in X-Men I I think he's fine in Wolverine but like I wouldn't place it in my top three performances from Hugh Jackman as Logan you know <laughs> so that's that's why yeah, I couldn't put I, him there. I mean Without going over sort of what we do, I think it was interesting the conclusion that we kind of came to on the podcast at the time, which was that actually it stood out as a strong Wolverine performance, maybe better than it had seemed at the first time of asking. Mm-hmm. As a as a kind of not exactly a counterpoint to that, but as a parallel point to that, despite the fact that he's won it before and we gave him it in the first year, does anyone disagree that this is well maybe Iron Man three? I was going to say, does anyone disagree that this is Robert Downey Jr.'s best performance as Tony Stark? End game. Given what he has to do in this one, I think it's. Uh, I think it's very close between this and Iron Man three. I would agree. I th- in fact, I think he's. Uh, did we give it to him for the first Iron Man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, see, I think it, like so he's amazing. It's same as Jackman. He's amazing in that as a bolt from a blue. This career yeah. redemption and suddenly like just encapsulates this character. And I think he's. I think he. I think the reason he seems so good in Endgame is that he he hasn't been on that level since Iron Man three. Mm. And not that I think he's ever been bad, but it, I I don't think he's you know he hasn't had to play as much civil I, civil war. I guess he gets the opportunity, but I just I, yeah, I just don't like that movie as much. I think he's I think he's remarkable in Endgame. Um, mm. I think I'm, he's great at the end, but I also. I don't think he's... A, and again, it's one of those weird ones that, like, are we going to give this to Robert Downey Jr. twice but never to Chris Evans? Yeah, um, I do feel like this is a category where I'm really taking into consideration what you guys have awarded before, <laughs> in a way, because <laughs> I do think... Which we shouldn't, but we also but like, do kind eh, of need to. That's kind yeah. of how awards work. I don't yeah. know. Like, yeah. looking at this list just totally, you know, in isolation, I think I lean towards Jackman... Looking at it in context, I probably lean towards Robert Downey Jr. or Chris Evans. I feel adamantly that Joaquin Phoenix does not give that interesting of a performance in Joker, yeah. and I would push to not have him win this award. That's the pro- thing I probably feel most strongly <laughs> about, actually. I I think I think the 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 amount that you're going to vote that down means that it can't really win. I think it's right. I think it's for me, it's right up there. But also, again, I'm thinking Joaquin Phoenix. I think it's a good performance, but is it is it in my favourite five Joaquin, Joaquin <laughs> yeah. Phoenix performances? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the only thing about Joker that I sort of unreservedly liked was 
how committed he was to it and how like original his choices were and stuff but you know it just it doesn't feel like the best he's capable of so i don't know i mean i'm mm. i nominated it but i'm happy for it not to win so so are we down to downey jr and chris evans that's where I'm down to. But if you guys feel strongly yeah. about Joaquin, like, don't let my, mm. you know, dislike of him sway you too. Like, I'm happy <laughs> to hear counter-arguments as well. No, I mean, that that was my counter-argument, really. It's nothing nothing I can strongly disagree with. Um, the one, Actually, one thing I want to say quickly about Robert Downey Jr. is that, for me, there are bits of Endgame where he's too much Robert Downey Jr. and not Tony Stark. Oh, mm. when? When? Mostly the bit where he's meeting his dad. Like, none oh, see, of that that's feels the to me like Tony Stark. Really? So yeah. that's the scene I was going to say that might tip me over the edge to saying it should be Robert Downey Jr. Because... Yeah, there are bits of that I where just... he leans into the physical comedy and the physical transformation, and I'm like... Oh, so I'm just I like, think we're talking, I think we're talking two different halves of that scene, right? You're talking about the scene... Where they're down, where they're downstairs, and he's kind of got caught breaking into the thing, yeah. and he kind of plays it as like, oh, oh like he's been completely overwhelmed, and is yeah. that like, whole that whole segment is like Charlie Chaplin, Robert Downey Jr. Like, yeah, but I like I like that as like this guy that and that has been that suddenly this this ultra that the most cocky arrogant <laughs> guy has suddenly been transported back to being a kid again and he's suddenly stumbling over his words and he suddenly doesn't know what to say yeah, but he wasn't then, he wasn't like that as a kid though was he because we saw him as a kid and he was just a dick <laughs> uh, as a 16 as a 16 year old he was yeah but the kid the kid we see on the on the tapes that doesn't quite know his dad loves him yeah. from iron man 2 i did i think then the scene when they're talking above ground and he's talking about you know having a kid i i mean i think slattery is great in that scene oh yeah that well. that one is great but i just i i really i think in that scene you see downey junior you you see tony stark as a kid looking through this adult size and i think he plays i think he plays the stuff with his own daughter really well i think he plays the the spider-man bits really well just the the mo- the moment where he looks at the photo of mm, peter and yeah, then the moment true. where he realizes peter is back and i think uh, obviously this is not entirely his choice but to have those final moments play out wordlessly i think is really powerful I mean, he's great in that opening scene as well. Honestly, I think for me, if it's between Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans, I think it is such a shame to have never given this to Chris Evans, who is maybe <laughs> the most perfect encapsulation of a superhero we've seen on screen. But Robert Downey Jr. in Endgame gives a better performance. The, there's not a lot of shade to Chris Evans's performance, is there? That's the one thing for me mm. is that he. He's, I mean, he never has to really. Well, that's yeah. the thing, like, because he's Captain America, like, he's mm. he's unwavering and certain. There's no angst. There's no no darkness. It's just he is that guy, and he will always be that guy. We've skipped the most interesting stretch of of Captain America. The stretch of Captain America that is most interesting is between oh god and right. Okay, I'm going to resolve. I'm go- I'm getting my resolve back, and we're get- we're going to figure mm. out a way to fix this. It's that period That's of doubt, and we don't we don't yeah. see the period of doubt. I think that Chris Evans is really good at sharing screen time and creating compelling relationships with his the actors he's with. I think even more like Robert Downey Jr. You're always watching him, but Chris yeah. Evans. I think of like the scene with him and the scene with 
Steve and Natasha where she's eating the sandwich. Like, <laughs> the sweetness of that scene, it's like you're watching the relationship more than just his performance, but it's very, very compelling. He's honestly, he's very good at playing an old man. Like, I know the makeup does a lot of that, but but his, like, you know, he he changes his physicality a lot to play that. His dynamic with, C, with um, Sam feels so specific. So I think in a way, like, the fact that Chris Evans is sort of a generous in some ways subtler actor <laughs> works against him in a category like this. Um, I also think I technically nominated him for Snowpiercer and not for Endgame, which <laughs> I don't know if I even agree with my past self having done that, but I do think Snowpiercer uses him in an interesting way, even if maybe it also brushes up against the limitations he has as an actor. I, I, I will just say that, I mean, I, I was going to say that you won't hear me say this very often on this podcast, but I agree with practically everything that Joe said back there <laughs> as regards Downey versus Evans. Um, I, I And again, it's that thing of, okay, I do think Robert Downey Jr. is absolutely fantastic, but I do have the running thing of being more of a Captain America fan than an Iron Man fan. But I, I, I was, you know, enthralled by how good he is in, in Endgame. And I think he sells every moment that he has to. And he gets a wider variety of moments to sell than Chris Evans does. So, yes, it is a shame that we're never going to have given it to Chris Evans. But that's what we have a Hall of Fame for. So, true. Uh, are we all in agreement? Yes, although I think I've talked myself back into thinking it should be Hugh Jackman, but I also think <laughs> Hugh Jackman shouldn't win three times in a row. So yes, it should yeah. be Robert Downey Jr. So, so Robert yeah, Downey Jr. Okay, yeah, equals Downey Hugh Jackman's record of two wins in the Best Actor category for Avengers Endgame, which is sweeping up and may not have finished, but then may have. Let's see. As we move on to Best Actress, previously won by Zoe Saldana for Infinity War, Gal Gadot, of course, for Wonder Woman, Hayley Atwell for Captain America, the first mm -hmm. Avenger. You want to talk about not lead characters, Joe? Uh, <laughs> and and Hayley Atwell the year before that for Agent Carter. No, she, is, she is the lead female performance in that movie. And Zachary Levy is the lead superhero performance in the Oh my god, <laughs> that's not the category. <laughs> <laughs> right, best actress, who have we got? Uh, so missing out is Helen Slater for Supergirl, sorry Seb, Scarlett Hansen for Endgame, and Zoe Saldana for Guardians of the Galaxy, and I'm not sure whether... Did Scarlett, do we nominate her in Best Supporting Actress, maybe? Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah I think we did, so I think that's, that's why that works out how it did. So, uh, nominees for Best Actress are Zendaya for Spider-Man Far From Home, Rosa Salazar for Elite Battle Angel, Carrie-Anne Moss for The Matrix, Karen Gillan for Avengers Endgame, and Brie Larson for Captain Marvel. I think, I mean, I love Zendaya. I'm happy she's here. I think that would be a supporting performance, not a lead performance, but I do love her, so happy to see her somewhere. I mean, it's the so same that, criteria again, as Hayley I think she. I think she got four nominations across the two categories. Uh, so she, everyone nominated her, but she got more nominations in actress than supporting actress, which is why she ended up here. It's a, it, I, I, genuinely this is a thing that I think all movies have to think about, and it's why every year when you get to actual award ceremonies, there are controversies over this mm -hmm. because we've just given our best actor award to someone who will be submitting in best supporting actor in the in the actual awards nominations, Robert Downey Jr. and everyone else from Endgame will be submitting in supporting categories. Um and, and like I think there are two arguments. It is either this person is the lead actor of this film, um, you know, the the protagonist of the movie, um, which is normally one person, 
or you go this is the person of that gender who has the biggest role right. so they can so they can qualify as a lead even it because you know I don't, I, I don't know like you see people arguing right now about marriage story and who has the bigger part and who has the more attention paid to them out of Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson it's a it's a it's a difficult argument to make my especially when it comes to the superhero movies I go for is this the person of that gender who has got the biggest role in the movie? Um, so, for, for example, Chris Pine would be the lead leading actor in Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's I think it's difficult, uh, but yeah, I think it's I think it's probably fair enough that Zendaya ends up in Best Actress because there's no I, I don't think there's there's anyone else could, that, that can rival her, even though it is a supporting performance. She's sure. probably got the the fourth or the fifth biggest part, which uh, I don't know. Maybe that's really a knock against Spider-Man Far From Home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I nominated her in this category, and as I made clear on the podcast at the time, I think she's one of the best things about the film. I think it's a terrific performance. I think I it's agree. Such a good portrayal of uh, awkward teenagerness. I think I think it's as much as I love Tom Holland. I think it's her rather than Tom Holland that actually gives me a bit of investment in the mm-hmm. relationship between the two characters. Um, so I'm I'm fully in favour of her winning this, frankly. I think it's, you know, she, she was good for the few minutes she had in the first film, but I thought she was kind of revelatory in this one. Can we, uh, if we could almost set, set this category into two halves, which is the MCU half and the other half. So we've got Zendaya, we've got Karen Gillan, we've got Brie Larson. And I think it'd be interesting to kind of find a contender from those to go yeah. up against the others. Because for me, Zendaya is the is the, the bottom of that list. Actually, I'd the, say she's the standout of those three. <laughs> I think it's the least substantial performance uh, in terms of, you know, screen time and, and being a lead actress. But also... Um, yeah, she plays awkward teenager and she plays it fine. But if you'd have asked me, like, what step up did I want to see from Zendaya between the two movies, I would have wanted a lot more than what we actually got, which is still slightly awkward, awkward teenager. I, yeah, I think she's, I think she's, she's good, but not particularly interesting. Uh, my argument would be for Karen Gillan, who I think gives a a really, really compelling performance in Endgame, um, and. I would argue against Brie Larson, um, who is, I think, the the aside from Rosa Salazar, the kind of like the the most inarguable lead actress mm-hmm. here. Um, it's difficult because I don't I don't think that Brie Larson is bad, but I think that I think it coming away from the movie, I definitely feel like it's a movie with a performance that has stumbles and a, and an actress that is still feeling out the character and understanding who she is. And also, it's such a thankless role to play for a character who kind of doesn't know who she is for a lot of the time and is a step behind the audience almost. Um, and, 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 and if we're talking about is how good is this compared to how they've been in other movies, this is... I was slightly disappointed by Brie Larson, given how good I know she is. And I, I still don't think it's a bad thing that they've cast her as this character, um, because it's Brie Larson. But I, I would find it hard to reward that performance, which I think is, uh, yeah, just just not quite there. 
I just I, I, I want to make sure that James and Caroline do get the opportunity to get a word in edgeways on this one. <laughs> um, I I agree with you on Brie Larson. I would just make the point. I I think if we're just if we're just to bring us back to that thing about categorization, um, I I would struggle to call Karen Gillan a lead in Endgame and that would count against her aside from the fact that I do think Zendaya is better but what do you guys reckon? I think if you're discounting Karen Gillan you discount Zendaya as well they're both I think both the most prominent female performance in their movies I think Scarlett Johansson would have something to say about that but anyway I mean she disappears halfway through (laughs) I do think I think in terms of screen time it was slightly Karen Gillan over Scarlett Johansson, not that that has to be the, you know, be all end all of the thing. I think, well, A, I think, yes, it is tricky when you have like lead female character versus, you know, female lead. That's tricky. I think Endgame just across the board is a mess for, you know, men, women, like who knows what anyone counts for in yeah. that. Every It's just an ensemble film. So I do think that that mm. is sort of random. Of the three MCU people that we have... I think Zendaya is lovely. I cannot wait to watch her be a mega movie star. I think if you watch her performances across multiple films, she actually has a huge amount of range, like more than you even kind of realize at first. Um, I think she's wonderful in Spider-Man. I don't think it's just, I don't think it's a meaty enough character for her to get enough to do that I would want to give her this award. If anything, I would want to give Brie Larson a supporting nod for her like one line in Endgame where she's like, (laughs) hey, Peter Parker. I think that is more compelling than anything she does in Captain Marvel as a whole. Of the MCU women, <laughs> I sort of agree with that. <laughs> it's, that uh, moment's great, but the character so is kind of a mess in that movie. I think, sure, because again, she filmed it before Captain Marvel and didn't know who the character was yet. So in those early scenes when she turns up, she kind of feels—I I think she seems a little bit bewildered. Yeah, for me, it would definitely be of the MCU women. It would definitely be Karen Gillan. Um, I think she—I think Karen Gillan is great in Endgame. Nebulous such an unexpected it's just such an unexpected character just from that beginning scene of her playing the paper football with tony and she's like i'd like to try again and (laughs) everything she does with that character is so weird and creative Mm. but just to like jump ahead here a little bit to me this is just rosa salazar's category i don't even care who we pick from the mcu because (laughs) she should just win this category do you know I was going to say is there a case to be made for rosa salazar i was waiting for Uh, us to get to it you've just made it I imagine James is going to make it. Yeah, because I think like it would have been very easy to play that character in a sort of moody, like, you know, almost Terminator-esque way. Yeah. She just goes completely opposite direction with it. Like, it's literally wide-eyed optimism that she goes for. Yeah, it's so wonderful. Like, it's just it's such an, such an unusual idea. It could have been... Was Could that have been so different. Wide-eyed optimism? No, yeah, it was, <laughs> that's what I said, literally, yeah. <laughs> I think she makes that movie hang together almost better than it has any right to. Like the movie feels so much more coherent because her performance. Yeah, it just anchors everything, even even through the CGI. Right, even through the CGI, and even through the character being so many different things, like being Mm -hmm. this warrior badass and being this naive, you know, person that could be so annoying, like in the way that Hugo is annoying. But she is never annoying. She is always endearing and super compelling. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this sort of like. The difficulty of the performance that she has to give through all this weird CGI stuff mm-hmm. and the physicality of what she does, I think it's a really tremendous performance. I'm 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 down with it. I'm I'm happy to give the award um, unless Joe can find a reason not to. But I think it might be three on one at the moment. If if it's not yeah, going to Zendaya, which it clearly isn't. <laughs> I mean, I, I 
I will make a, a late pitch for Carrie Ann Moss. I, I mean, I mean, just purely because I don't understand anything that any of you have just said about Rosa Salazar. <laughs> if you're talking, if, we, if we're talking about like bland leading performance that's less interesting than most of the performances around her, I will exclude Hugo because that's terrible. But like, I, do, I, I. I didn't watch that movie and thought, uh, think, oh, I can't wait to see what Rosa Salazar does next. Oh, I absolutely did. Yeah, I wait. I, I wanted to I, see. I can't wait to see her in the sequel to Elisa Battle Angel. <laughs> I, I thought. I thought it was. It, it was super bland. Uh, I will make the quick case for Carrie Ann Moss, who actually would have been my pick from this category. Full stop. It would have been Carrie Ann Moss and then uh, Karen Gillan. Um, I think in in terms of when you when you were making the argument for iconography with Lawrence Fishburne, I think you can make exactly the same argument with Carrie Ann Moss. Agreed. Um, and I think the um, a, again the range she gets to show from from badass hero to someone who's completely completely vulnerable and is is constantly constantly doubting herself or like. A, I think when you watch that movie back and you and you watch it with the knowledge that she's been given this prophecy that she will fall in love with the one and is presented with this guy who may or may not be the one and her trying to figure that out internally, I think that really plays on a rewatch. I think that you you see that come through the performance the whole time. Um I think she does exactly what you guys were just saying about Rosa Salazar, but with about three degrees of extra difficulty. I don't buy the CG as particularly being a, 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 a impediment because it's just that she's got bigger eyes. Hmm. I do love Carrie Ann Moss. I actually think this is a really strong, like a stronger than I expected category for, you know, I think best actors can be tricky in the superhero genre, but I actually think this is a really good lineup and I would almost be happy to see any of them win. Carrie Ann Moss is great, but for me, Rosa just stands above the rest. Yeah, I think three of us have come down on Rosa Salazar, no. so I think it's... I'd- all I need to make clear is she would have been my fifth choice in this category. Wow. <laughs> well, congrats on being wrong. And- <laughs> there it is then. There you go, James. Alita got a positive award and it's a really big one. Rosa Salazar, best actress for Alita Battle Angel. Happy with that. Still one more to go. And it could still win best <laughs> film. Um, and finally best film uh and so this is the best film full stop not just the best film of 2019 the best film that was covered this year on the podcast uh so previously it's gone to the dark knight the avengers spider-man 2 and spider-man in a in a double for sam raimi's spider-man films Mm -hmm. strange that he didn't get the hat trick i don't know what happened there um so yeah (laughs) who who have we put up what films have we put up for this one so, uh, despite James nominating it as his favourite, uh, Alita Battle Angel cannot win in this category. Um, the nominees are Adam's Family Values, The Matrix, Guardians of the Galaxy, Snowpiercer, and Avengers Endgame. They're all good, aren't they? Wow. They yeah. are all... That's a, that's a good lineup of films. That's like five five-star films there. Is anyone seriously considering anything that isn't Snowpiercer or Endgame, though? Can we just get this yeah, out of the, the way Matrix. now? It's <laughs> yeah, the, the Matrix. It's the Matrix. Yeah. You guys keep yeah. forgetting that the Matrix I'm is not, the Matrix. <laughs> I'm not forgetting that it's the Matrix. I'm saying it's nowhere near as good a film as Snowpiercer or Endgame. Oh, uh, it's, it's tough. I think, I think, right, I think Avengers, I think Endgame is a fantastic superhero film. Yeah. But, it like... <laughs> It's a different league to Snowpiercer in the Matrix. Like agreed, it, you know, it's a great family movie, but Snowpiercer in the Matrix are actually doing 
things and saying things that Endgame is like for all of its technical genius and like the emotional character stuff uh, you know it's it's pretty facile underneath right it's just being like oh you know the good guys can win and stuff like whatever whatever as much as I love that shit it's you know it's still that shit um so looking at this category I kind of agree with the with the three that are being considered here because I think Adam Sumley Values is a great comedy uh, I really like it I think the the facts that we're not even considering Guardians of the Galaxy considering how 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 much like how how much affection we have for it as this podcast is telling um I I can't believe that the Matrix which is I think one of the greatest movies ever made is being dismissed so quite out of hand. Like it, Thank it you. is like, I really like Snowpiercer and I think it has great ideas at the center of it. And I think it's like bong directs his behind off. I still think the last 10, 15 minutes don't come together. I think the matrix is pretty much a perfect movie. No, that's fair. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the matrix too. Like I, d- I think it's it, when you, when you look at its influence, when you look at, I, right. So here is something that I, would, that I always think is fascinating. You look at the short amount of time that went on between Keanu Reeves being the star of Johnny Mnemonic and Keanu Reeves <laughs> being the star of the matrix and w- at both dealing with kind of like yeah, both kind cyberpunk. Of playing in similar similar areas you've got one which is this unwatchable piece of garbage and this other that is one of the greatest pieces of action cinema and it's not this facile empty piece of action cinema it's got so much going on below the surface and i yeah i i like snowpiercer but i think it like i think it kind of talks itself in circles at the end and i and i I think it falls down in those last 15, 20 minutes. I think and... I think maybe Snowpiercer, it, like, it gets a bit too inside itself at the end. Like, it, it believes the... its own hype a bit too much and becomes sort of... A it's bit an allegory, but it's, it's an allegory for society, at which at the end of the movie you kind of need to solve society. Um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure end, any, any movie end, could do it, that. At the end, it stops being a film and just goes, okay, so we're finishing the film it's and now it's just going to be allegory for the next 10 minutes. Yeah. I, I, I don't mind the ending of it. I mean, as I said, I don't mind like as much allegory as possible in anything. I think the <laughs> ending is cool. I don't take it very literally. So that to me isn't a holdup. And I do any yeah, other year, like I, I, I said, I, I would. I don't mind it either. But it is something that's negative about the film. Yeah. And I also, I, I also don't mind completely banging the drum for Endgame because... It's it's not it's not easy to deliver good popcorn entertainment as we were saying as the other superhero universes have discovered. It's equally not easy to pull it all together in this satisfying way, um, and kind of and and I think the reason why I mean we gave this award to Infinity War, War last year. I blame myself for that because I should have been arguing for <laughs> Spider Verse as well. Um, like I, I, I think Black Panther was remarkable, but I should have been arguing for um, Spider Verse, which I think is incredible after rewatching three or four times. Yeah, um, some some of us got it the first time, Joe. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. See, I think I still but, think Infinity War is better than Endgame in in the sense of like if you want a superhero action movie, like Infinity War is just that distilled to nothing. Like, no, but that's it's it. like that's an injection like, into it, your brain. Endgame is like three hours of hey, we got some story. Uh, Infi- <laughs> Infinity War is 
what if we had a plot and end game is what if we had characters and i like that is the type of and this is a personal thing that that is the type of storytelling that i keep coming back to that is why i love uh to, to, to invoke him right at the end that's why I, I tend to love the tv of damon lindloff that's why i tend to love the um the writing of Stephen King because they it's set in this genre setting, but it cares about its characters more than it cares about the the particulars of the story. And I think that Endgame does a good job of going, uh, well, a going, um, hey, you guys figure out this, figure out all this other stuff later. We've given you some fun, some fun <laughs> stuff to play with, um, time things. But but kind of yeah, and kind of but kind of like has this story that like does enough in terms of tying up certain plot threads or tying up certain character arcs um but really grounding everything that every major character does in 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 their character arc not just for that movie but over a decade's worth of storytelling and i think it does that particularly for iron man and uh, i think for nebula for um for clint and the Ta- I think for so many of those characters i think it is a it's a perfect it's either a perfect ending or a perfect arc within that particular story. Like I love the Thor stuff. I know that there are arguments against it um, for making a joke out of him being fat. I don't think it makes a joke out of him being fat. I think it makes a joke out of a guy who's lost his drive and lost his passion and has has kind of let everything else go but at the end lets him be a hero without becoming thin again mm-hmm. i kind of love i kind of love that and i yeah think i Endgame remember is, watching is, the film is this and having that exact yeah. thought of like yeah. yeah i remember watching the film <laughs> i remember thinking like <laughs> i really hope they don't have him like turn into buff thor at the end when he gets his power like his his mojo back and they didn't and i was like credit for that and also the experience of watching that movie I don't, I don't know about you guys, but for the the first viewing I had was a midnight screening where everyone was kind of like shell shocked. I remember the the like the gasp in the cinema where it said five years later, and then the second time with the girl on on our road, literally breaking down in floods of tears in the funeral scene at the end. I I think that that movie is the best version of that movie. Um, it's the best version. I agree that it's the best version of that movie, but I think that that movie in and of itself is not the best type of movie that can exist. Do you know what it's I mean? It's not the best action. It's not the best piece of action cinema that can exist, certainly. I think that... You know, I think the Matrix is, is right there. Endgame has really, really compelling moments, and it's really easy to think back on all of your favorite moments, but I think a lot of them are sort of clumsily strung together. I think there's an episodic nature that doesn't always suit it well. I think tonally... It can get a little messy. And I think, honestly, a lot of the action in it is really, really bad. Like, that last battle scene, it doesn't mm-hmm. look good. The portals, the coming through the portals, incredible. Honestly, I would hold that up as better than anything in The Matrix. But as a whole, even as a whole action scene, I think it's messy. And we're having scenes of, like, Ant-Man getting shrunk down to a baby. And, like, oops, I pooped my pants. So, like, whatever. <laughs> like, you know, things that are don't need Obviously- to be there. It's It's got extra... Like, now we're watching Rhodey and nebula have a mission that's kind of pointless black widow doesn't get a funeral like there's things i can point out as not being good you cannot point to anything from the matrix and say that it's not good because everything (laughs) about it is like needs to be there i mean just uh, i don't know i think i I mean i feel i am i'm I'm obviously swimming against the tide here where i i think the matrix was excellent at its time and i think there's a lot about it that holds up now but i also think there are elements that 
don't hold up as well now. Um, and can I can I make the argument, Seb, that I think might help you? I think it, I think you <laughs> I think you're going to like this. On the episode itself, the three of you came to the conclusion that really you shouldn't have been covering the Matrix on the on this on this podcast because it isn't really a superhero movie. Did we come to that conclusion? Yeah, you you got argued round. <laughs> yeah, I was. I actually thought of that too. Like, <laughs> should this be eligible? <laughs> That's the thing that I think acts yeah. against it. I think it's. I think it is amazing. But it's not based on a comic, and it is questionable whether it's a superhero movie. Um, I know we. I, I think because I, I agreed with you going in, and then listened to the podcast and went, "Oh, that is a that is a decent counter argument that it is not." <laughs> um, Snowpiercer is undeniably based on a comic, and Endgame couldn't be any more a part of this category. So that's that's where I can see you making the argument against. They're all great. They're all great movies, though. Like I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have a problem with any of them. I mean, yeah, this this isn't me sort of saying I don't like The Matrix. I think I I, I evidently just don't sit in the same place as everyone else as thinking that it has held up exactly and that what it was in 1999 is what it is in 2019 because I feel like it's been surpassed in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think there are, like, just sitting down and watching it now... I think it's easier to pick pick at the things that don't quite work as well, and it's not the revelatory experience that it was. Now, Snowpiercer, I only saw for the first time this year, and so I got that revelatory experience out of it. Mm. So maybe if I was to watch Snowpiercer in five years' time, I wouldn't feel the same way about it. But um, that's kind of where I was. I just I feel like Snowpiercer blew us away so much when we did it for the podcast, like uh, in terms of not expecting it to be the film that it turned out to be um it's made me interested in the films of the person who made it who was someone who i basically and you know this is on me in terms of my knowledge of films but who i pretty much had not heard of before um so and i just think yeah okay you you could you could say what you say about it maybe sort of doesn't fully stick what it does at the very end but just everything leading up to that is so it's so enjoyable and it's so unlike anything else that yeah. we tend to cover on here. It's just a level above. Um, it, and, you know, I, I feel about it the way I felt about Ghost World when we talked about that then. Yeah, and as absolutely. much as Spider-Man 2 is one of the absolute, still maybe one of the top three or four superhero films ever made, I I was pushing for Ghost World as film of that year because it's just on another level as a film. And that's how I feel about Snowpiercer. I, I, I accept that people feel that way about The Matrix as well. I'm I'm just not there with it myself. And I would it's not be a more movie. <laughs> comfortable with Snowpiercer winning over The Matrix than Endgame winning over The Matrix. And I will say too, we did award Endgame for Best Film of the Year, so we did already recognize yeah. it significantly, and I think rightly, in that category. So it mm. wouldn't, you know, if it doesn't win here, it's been it's been well recognized elsewhere. Whereas Snowpiercer has only got a Best Director award so far. <laughs> Which is quite a big one. Yeah. But that makes me wonder I mean, why didn't the Wachowskis win Best Director? So because you guys like, we don't were... like yeah. The Matrix. <laughs> if we were coming out of this this thing saying, like, we've watched all these films, the one you should watch is... Complete that sentence. 
Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer. Everyone's yeah. seen The Matrix. I think it's Snowpiercer. I, I was, I was. <laughs> okay, but what if it was I, a world where no one had seen any of these five films? Yeah, I think that's the difference. I, I wonder if you, if you drop, if you drop The Matrix and Snowpiercer in front of it, when you say like it wasn't the revelatory experience, it was. Um, I wonder if you'd never seen it before and it got thrown in front of you. Okay, if you yeah, but if you'd it's never tough. seen The Matrix and you watched it in 2019, you'd go, oh, that was like a load of other films I've seen. Now that's not I The Matrix's know. fault because they're films that came after it, but I think you would say that. Uh, I don't think you would say that about Snowpiercer. Okay, I have a solution. Let's name the Wolverine the best film of the year. <laughs> there we go. Now I think I think the argument against is it. Te- I think it's questionable whether the Matrix is a, is a superhero movie. Uh, but and I think that argument so... was made on the episode, so that's why I would be happy to swing over to Snowpiercer. Yeah, no, it is a good it, it is a good counter argument. Should it be? Should we just put it in like an honorary slot as its own thing? And then we have Snowpiercer versus Endgame, in which case I go Snowpiercer. Yeah, and I, and I would be happy to co-sign on that. Yeah, okay. I've turned that around from a very losing position there. Yes, although it should, <laughs> just so we're on a the audience is clear, it should be The Matrix. <laughs> on, a, on a technicality, but I'll take it because it's <laughs> fucking amazing. Snowpiercer is the best film that we covered on the podcast in 2019. Hall of Fame, then, to round things off. A uh, little bit past time, but let's let's power through. Um, and this this might not be quick because we've got five slots to fill because we ridiculously committed to a bit at the start where the first year idea. we would add one person, second year we would add two, and so on. So in the Hall of Fame so far, we have Nicolas Cage, Hayley Atwell, Sam Raimi, Hugh Jackman, Michael Keaton, Laurie Petty... <laughs> Stanley, Vincent D'Onofrio, Heath Ledger, and he's already in there because we thought it was going to be the last opportunity that we'd get to put him in there, J.K. Simmons. So who are we looking at for this time? Because I think there's there's two extremely obvious ones who aren't yeah. in there already. Well, who I mean, are we basically saying that they're going in by default? Yeah, put them in there. Let's yeah. let's uh, the the nominees. And I think what's interesting here is that uh, not only do we have kind of this semi end of the of the MCU, this this end of the Infinity Saga, and some of the people that are involved with it, we've also got the end of I think probably the other um, kind of seminal. Uh, superhero franchise of the of this century the dark knight trilogy so I thought you were going to say the x-men films <laughs> <laughs> uh well well hugh jackman's already in there and um yeah, yeah. Uh, i think it <laughs> would be difficult yeah so uh, here are the here are the nominees that receive votes from everyone robert downey jr and chris evans they're in. Do, let's in. not even waste time debating it. Yeah, they're Evans in. and Robert Downey 100%. Jr. They Congratulations, are. Congratulations, gentlemen. You're <laughs> in. <laughs> okay, so others receiving multiple nominations. Uh, Tilda Swinton, who obviously has Snowpiercer this year, but also um, uh, also yeah. starred in en- in Endgame <laughs> and Dot Strange previously, and and Barim and Constantine as well. Uh, where oh, yeah. she's excellent. So the point yeah. is, is that she's actually turned in yeah. quite a few. Um, was was my rationale? Yep. Uh, Christian Bale, who rounds out the um, the Batman franchise. There, uh, Wesley Snipes, who I nominated just because I'm not sure you guys will ever get around to Blade Trinity. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned him here. So they were the only ones um, not receiving multiple nominations. But here are the other names: 
Christopher Nolan, Gwyneth Paltrow, Hugo Weaving, John Bernfold, the Wachowskis, uh, the Russo brothers, Samuel L. Jackson, and Marcus and McFeely. Can I throw? Can I throw? <laughs> Melissa Benoist from Supergirl on the list just because I'm not usually on the cuppies and I feel like she. we should just talk about how she's giving one of the best superhero performances of all time on Supergirl. Even if Let's even do if she doesn't she go in, Supergirl I just want to mention her she? name. Yeah. She's great, but I mean, I think probably when that when that superhero universe dies down is the time to put her in. Fair enough, now. yeah. Yep. But yeah, she is, she is great. I, I, you know, I think Grant Gustin's amazing as well. Yeah. So I think Tilda Swinton gets in because she's now done what four comic book characters and they're all amazing. Like, why wouldn't we put her in? Her her best comic book work is inarguably behind her in these podcast terms, right? Yeah, yeah. So I would nail that one down too. I would argue to eliminate the Wachowskis uh, because it's it's one movie and it, it it's not I, I don't think that it's defined by being a superhero movie yeah. so in terms of putting them in the hall of fame here it feels difficult fair enough yeah, yeah. I would Sam also Jackson? rule out I would rule out Sam Jackson because I don't you know would rule him out? I was saying put him in I say this is the year if there's any yeah. year to put him in this is the year after Captain Marvel he was in three movies this year <laughs> but, yeah. he's, but he's That's still but he's year. still He's still going to be going, whereas like yeah, the Russos, some... yeah, the Russos are done. Christopher Nolan is done. Gwyneth Paltrow is done. Christian Bale is done. Listen, Christopher Nolan and Christian Bale are getting nowhere near the Hall of Fame while I'm alive. <laughs> well, wow. my heart is I would have pushed for Christian, but I no. will defer. No chance. I feel like one of them probably should be. But I, th- I think it, I think it's Not more like it. Nolan than Bale. But you hate Nolan so much that it can't be Nolan. So. I hate Nolan so much. And I think, like, to be fair, right? I think Bale is just bland. I don't think he's definitive, a definitive Bruce Wayne in any yeah, way. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think he's it. We've got Michael Keaton in there already. I, I don't exactly. think he is another Batman to go in there. Can I make my case for the screenwriters of Captain America, the first Avenger, the Winter Soldier, Civil War, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame and the creators of the Agent Carter TV show? Mm -hmm. They are, for me, the defining voice, not the Russos, Marcus and Feely. I'm actually, I'm behind you on that. And if I thought about it more, I would have nominated them myself, that they don't get as much credit as the Russos. And actually, everything they've done has hit the mark. Mm -hmm. So... And they're not going to do any more, are they? Yeah, I think that's a really good call. So right now we have Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Tilda Swinton, Marcus McFeely. We've got one more slot to fill. Yeah, we are MCU heavy, so maybe that that moves us away from Sam Jackson. I think Wesley Snipes. I think think it's Wesley Snipes. Yeah, I put him in there. For for defining that character in the way that he did, and while I didn't love Blade Two, I think I think he's better in Blade Two than Blade One, and I think Blade Two is more where he defines the version of that character that has become really yeah, iconic. Yeah, I, I don't love so. the movies, but I can't deny how definitive the character is, or the performance of that character is. So, Are yeah. we all okay uh, yeah. with not I mean, I, Sam Jackson this year, though? Sam Jackson will I get think his he'll chance. get his chance. Okay. <laughs> we I keep saying gonna, that, I think but he will. Gonna get, I think you're going to get... I mean, given the the scene at the end of Far From Home, the post credit scene, I think we're going to see a lot more of Sam Jackson <laughs> also, in the next couple of years. We're going to get six entries next year. We're going to be scraping the barrel by then, so <laughs> he's going to be at the top of the list before we get as far as scraping the barrel. I think we do need to cap it at five a year, actually, from now on. But yeah, yeah. we'll cross that bridge in 12 months' time. So are we saying Wesley Snipes, and we're definitely we're letting the James 
Nolan Bale veto ride. <laughs> I don't feel strongly enough that they urgently need to go in. To be honest, yeah. I think I think I think Nolan should, but I understand the context in which I'm arguing. <laughs> yeah, same. I would probably put Nolan like Tilda Swinton to me is the one that stands out as being slightly random, but I don't feel strongly enough that I would you know veto that. And I, I also wonder, we haven't put him in, but the direct—I I didn't even mention him—the director of two Hellboy movies and Blade Two, uh, Guillermo del Toro, is a it would be, would be for me an. I outside don't feel contender. his impact on that. I mean, he, he's great, but I don't feel his impact on this genre is massive. To be honest, yeah, he stayed pretty much on the fringes, right? Yeah, like he's not interested in in comic book movies. He just happens to have made a couple. <laughs> I, I feel like with Tilda Swinton as well. It, it, I like. I, I, it's not tokenism me saying we should put Tilda Swinton in because I do think she's amazing and I'm nominated her for all kinds of reasons. But if we don't put Tilda Swinton in, uh, we've still only got Haley Atwell and Laurie Petty as yeah. the non-male yeah. representation in our now 10, 15 strong. Hall of oh, fame. listen. I mean, Scully Hansen would have been a shoe in this year. She had would have she not have? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. A, a Black Widow Black movie Widow ahead of her. Yeah. Um, I, I will say this was also the year of talking about endings. This was the end of the like Defenders Netflix universe. So I guess just general shout out to all those actors. I had put John Bernthal from The Punisher mm. as my pick, but like Kristen Ritter, they're uh, all amazing. Yeah. Charlie Cox. I I thought I thought about all of them. They have got their and, representative in there. Yeah, Vincent D'Onofrio already went in in a previous year. He'll get him in through the back door. Great, perfect. <laughs> to smuggle them in under so, his coat. So I think we've we're agreed on Swinton. It's is does Wesley Snipes take the final spot this year? And I I would be delighted if he did. Same. Yeah, I'm happy for it. There we go then. So it is it is Chris Evans, Robert Downey Jr., who we didn't even give their due and talk about, but I think, <laughs> I think talked we talked about, about them quite enough. a lot on this podcast. <laughs> Marcus and McFeely, excellent shout, Joe. Yes. Yeah. And Tilda Swinton and Wesley Snipes. I think that's a good. That's uh, a great list. Good lineup. Suck it, Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> that makes up for Alita being the Howard T. Duck. There you go. <laughs> I'm very happy. So there we have it. Uh, that is, we have finally come to the end of the 2019 cuppies. James loses because they're continuing to be referred to as that. Uh, Thank you ever so much, Caroline and Joe, for for doing this. Maybe Caroline more than Joe, because Joe was never going to not do it. Um, I was honoured to be asked. Joe, any final words? Uh, See whether you invite me back next year. (laughs) Where will we be in a year's time? What delights will we have had over the next year? I think we might have to finally get to Superman 4 next year. I'm worried we're going to get to Justice League TV movie. (laughs) Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, we, were, we we haven't actually planned out anything that we're going to be doing in January yet, which probably shouldn't tell you, but we'll we'll go away and have some discussions about it and figure out what we're going to do uh, for our first few films in the new year. So look forward to that. Um, happy New Year. I would say Happy Christmas, but it's going to have been Christmas by the time I get around to editing this. So uh, and, uh, New Mutants in April. <laughs> <laughs> uh, trailer, trailer dropping in January. Get, yeah. get excited, guys. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna love that movie. No, you're not. <laughs> because it doesn't exist. Um, yes. So as ever, I'm not even gonna do the usual spiel. You know about us by now. Uh, thank you for listening over the past year, however much or as little of it as you did. Uh, it's really appreciated. It's what keeps us going, um, and we look forward to more of this nonsense in 2020. Iron Man 2020, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no one else understands that, do Marvel are going big on that in their marketing as if people understand it. I enjoy that. Uh, Yeah, take care. Uh, See you in the new year. Goodbye.
Bye. Bye. Bye.